This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. <clears throat> Spooko has changed my life. And not in the way I expected, Shag. As part of Spooko, we met the crew from Too Scary Didn't Watch. Among the crew from Too Scary Didn't Watch is Emily Gonzalez. Um, those who follow Too Scary Didn't Watch know that Em's pretty deep in her fashion, uh, you know, in her fashion era right now. And among the things she does or has done is make amazing ties. And I've bought some of them. And like my last six months has just been filled with compliments on ties that Em has made. And it has changed uh, my life in that it's like, Peach, you're that guy who wears ties with flowers on them. And I'm like, mm, yes, I am. And so you might remember six months ago, Shag, we were in our sort of self-care era. We were talking about, you know, we were talking about how to look after ourselves and clothing. And so Em's magical ties came along at the right time of my life. And this ties in with uh, Bugsy Malone as well, in that I think I've been I've been doing a bit of finding Yeezus style investigation of why does the culture not care about Bugsy Malone? And Shag, I'm not sure if you're aware that Bugsy Malone has released uh, his own sneaker range, and I do not mean that he's released his own sneaker range as part of Adidas or as part of Nike or anything like that. He's gone ahead and founded a sneaker company, and has decided that uh, you know, he's the guy to go in and start a sneaker brand. Uh, it's verified on Instagram, 66,000 followers. And I was like, well, okay, that's not zero. That's, you know, it's not Nike numbers. Uh, and so I thought I might just get your quick sort of immediate response to the design of the sneakers and the branding. First thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to ground your thinking with the Nike Air Presto. Now, this is a sneaker that you will recognize, I think, that was a little bit popular about five years ago. It's actually one of my favorite of the kind of, oh, you know, I the MX90s, yep, MX270. Yep, 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 yep. And they're like, I like them a lot. Some people think they're okay. Some people don't like them, whatever. Yeah. So, so Jack, have I got that in your head? Yes. Okay. Now, let me just send you a link to the Beam Alone, right? And I'll just get your just sort of thoughts and reflections on the comparison and then just generally whether you think it's cool. So, are you, like, are you happy to a bit of a, Love it or hate it, uh, see how we go Peach. on Bugsy Malone sneakers. Look, I am no shoe designer, but I'm keen to see where this will go. All right. So here we are. So his brand is called B Malone. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty, it, look, it's interesting. Oh, wow. It's, it's the same sneaker. <laughs> <laughs> but heaps worse. <laughs> God, they're not cheap either. I, like, I just think it's the ugliest shoe I've ever seen in that it's like an air presto with like additional paper mache kind of glued on and then weird like cool names like scorpion and, you know, cool colors like burnt orange. <laughs> and I'm looking through, nothing sold out. All the sizes are there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and there's somewhere a lesson here, right, in that, um, you know, Spooko's in part a journey. Um, Shag was interviewed recently about the value of side hustles in creativity. Bugsy Malone's a rapper. This is Bugsy Malone's side hustle. And, you know, it just goes to show that your side hustle doesn't have to be a glowing success in order for it to be a valuable adjunct to your career. So these are some of the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. And I feel like it might suggest that Bugsy Malone has no taste and can't read the market. <laughs> and if both of those things are true, I think it goes to show why I'm the only person involved in this podcast who likes or cares about Bugsy Malone at all. So for Christmas, Shag, I would not like a pair of Beam Malones, <laughs> although they have reminded me how much I do enjoy Air Prestos. I really think I've got to get you a pair of Beam Malones for Christmas now. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't see a world in which that's not happening. Look, Peach, you're, ab you're absolutely right. This podcast mm. has changed my life. It's also changed so much. As you've just oh, yeah. shown, you know, like 
We've had so many different guests. We had Alexi Toliopoulos last week for the third mm. time. We've hung out with the crew from Too Scary. Didn't watch a couple of times now as well. We've had mm. countless guests. Ruby, LT. Al Grigg, Adele mm. Kapush, over, you know, over 150 plus episodes. So much has changed. It absolutely has changed my life. But I think at a, at a, at a core level for me, because mm. this podcast was always about a mission to help you overcome your fear of scary films. Now, mm. that wasn't necessarily a thing you wanted to overcome. It was a, it was a mission <laughs> that I wanted you to have, I guess. And Well, my frame of mind is, Shag, as you know, this is part of the reasonably deep and entrenched problems that I'm working through. If someone else wants me to do something, then I better do what someone else would like me to do. <laughs> Which is bad because it makes me an enabler, right? But, it, but, but it's also proof that often when you really want someone to do something, it's because you really want to do something too, right? And I've realized over the course of this podcast is there mm. were certain films in the genre and certain corners of the genre that mm. I was too scared to go to, right? Or that... I, I was too scared to explore why I was too scared to go to. And I kind of love that as a podcast, we've been able to uncover so much more about the horror genre and mm. why people like you are afraid of it and why people like me are attracted to it in ways that I didn't expect to. One of the achievements we've had is we've, we've managed to cover the Terrifier series so far. Oh, so yeah. Terrifier 1 was one of those word-of-mouth hits that seems to really happen in horror. I mean, again, we covered Paranormal Activity 3 last week. The Paranormal Activity series, a classic example of a no-budget film just becoming a worldwide smash due to word-of-mouth. The Terrifier series, there's only two films so far, is absolutely the next big horror word-of-mouth hit. It's interesting for me because if you compare it to the cult hits we've looked at previously or like the previous generation's cult hit, like, I mean, if you take the classic Blade Runner example of like, oh, not very successful at the box office and then has a huge like cultural footprint that's sort of undeniable in the following decades, I feel like because culture is so distributed now, there's no monoculture like Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, that now your sleeper hit can be terrified that I feel like even horror fans like that I sometimes chat to these days are like, yeah, what's what's even terrifier all about that it doesn't even break through mm. the horror mainstream? Uh, it's really a really exciting genre. Well, I mean, here's what's interesting about Terrifier, I think, because mm. it was made by a guy, Damien Leone, kind of similar to Paranormal Activity as well, in that he like wrote, directed, like shot or did the casting basically did everything for the original mm. and i think it's such a film of our age because it's not like he had a story to tell he was just a fan of horror movies and he was like i want to make a scary clown horror movie because i like horror movies and he did that and of course horror fans are attracted to that because he is one you know he wrote a film yeah, for God. horror fans because he wrote a film for himself yep so it becomes a sleeper hit to the point where he's like, I need to do a second one. Now, I think what's amazing about this is mm. the original Terrifier is incredibly extreme. Like, you know, we covered it in, in a way where we, we kind of skirted over things because it's pretty gross. Like, he yeah. eats faces. He, there's no cutting away. I think the main thing is, as a director, Damien Leone never cuts away. Mm. If a kill happens, we see it. If torture happens, we watch it and we sit in while the torture happens. So it, it didn't get picked up by major studios. Eight twenty-four didn't come knocking. So mm. when he wanted to do a second, he did a crowdfunding campaign. And Pete, how much do you think he asked for to make Terrified 2? 650000 dollars He asked for fifty thousand dollars. Like what can you even get for you can get a medium sized car for fifty thousand dollars. Like how many pairs of B Malones can you get? You can get get a be like, oh we'll do a deal, let's have So 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 he he asked for fifty grand. Mm. He got it. Oh my gosh. It's all right, the dogs are just here on the plate. And then Alice, who owns them and knows them really well, walked down and they're like, oh, what the fuck is it? <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Mm. So, 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 so. Mm. 
He gets five times that, almost 250 grand in this GoFundMe. And he shoots a sequel. And again, because he's a horror fan and just wanted to make a horror movie, in all the interviews I've read of him, he was basically mm. like, I just want to do everything better. So people didn't like the fact that art didn't have much of a backstory. I want a backstory. People want to see more kills. I'm going to create more kills. People want some more characterization around the victims. I'm going to do that. So it's fan service for a group of fans that didn't exist until he made this fan service. It's, it's this weird case of culture eating itself, but in an incredibly successful way. Anyway, so... Jag, I mean, you've got an insight into how the creative process and feedback works. Of like, to what, like, when do you start pushing back against feedback? And when are you like, yeah, yeah, tell me more stuff you want me to do? If you have a purpose and not mm. a vision, if you have like a perp, like an outcome, like I want to make a horror film, mm. but you don't have this story to tell about Art the Clown where you know, and, and like, sorry to name check JK Rowling. I can't think of another fucking author off the top of my head. Yeah, nice. But, but that idea of you've got the whole story plotted out on napkins. Damien didn't have that for Art the Clown, mm. right? So if your goal is just to make a movie and people are like, cool, make a movie, make all these changes. Feedback is like, cool, bring it on. Yeah, I'll do this, this, any other feedback, tell me. Whereas if you have this creative vision and you know exactly what you want the character to do and mm. then people come across and tell you, hey, I don't think that, you should have an open enough mind to be like, does that make my story better? But yeah, okay. you don't just naturally just accept all feedback. But yeah, do you, see, do you kind of see my point? It, yeah, it feels like those LinkedIn posts that are like comments. Like, <laughs> with like what do you think? <laughs> it's like, hey, I made this movie. Do you reckon I did a good job or changed some stuff? And it's like, oh, I'd probably prefer you had the confidence just to go and make, <laughs> make another one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I take your point of, if your goal is to, you know, please the people who like the first one, then then being open-minded to that, I think, is pretty, pretty right. And and mm. what I think is amazing is this film has been so much more successful than the first, and properly broken through. And here's why I say it's actually broken through. So number one, mm. there weren't just reviews in websites called things like Bloody Disgusting and Pulverizer.com. <laughs> There was a review for this in The Guardian that gave okay. it three stars. And okay. so, so the UK Guardian gave this three stars, which, which I find quite surprising when I consider the actual content of this film. And it just goes to show that, that beyond this film breaking through, it's part of a cultural shift towards more extreme content. But also, but also, I was able to see this film in a suburban cinema on a Sunday night in a pretty packed room for a preview okay. screening for this film. And as far as I could tell, because they were like, we're bringing, like a particular production company brought Terrifier 2 to Australia for the Halloween weekend. And when I looked up cinemas near me, like pretty much every cinema near me was having a screen. Like it, it, was, it was everywhere. Like this film has properly broken through. And it's amazing when you consider it was funded off the back of a GoFundMe for still like less than 250 grand, which is not a lot of money I, to make I, anything. I just don't know where these budgets come from. These like, it was $2.50. Like you still have to buy the cameras and stuff. I mean, you people have to get your, paid. Like, yeah, you know, all these people need to get paid. And effects. even if you're not buying the cameras, you got to rent them and renting them's not cheap. You got to find places to, and even if like, even if everyone's working for free, you need materials, you need all, the, you need catering, you need all of these sorts of things. So it's amazing that a film that, spoiler alert, I quite liked and thought was a lot more fleshed out, pardon the pun, than the original Terrifier has any right to be. So today, Peach, mm. we are doing the 2022 soon-to-be crossover smash Terrifier 2. You heard it here first. Or well, second, I guess the Guardian probably pipped us in the post, but you know, here's second. <laughs> and also, usually I'm like, usually I'm like, cool, I'll let you have the last word. But I think this trailer is still going to be pretty distressing, so just just be careful. I'll be fine. Oh yeah, you're going to watch it on your phone, minimize it'll be fine. <laughs> I do like that we're getting the Carolina Reaper stage. <laughs> so, did you figure out what you're dressing up as tomorrow? He wants to dress up as a real guy who murdered nine people last year. Oh, you're not doing that. It's just a costume. What's up with you and this clown all of a sudden? You're like obsessed. They never found his body. What if he decides to come back here? I'm telling you, it was him, Ellie. Right down to the little black dot on the tip of his nose. 
Something's wrong. Look, we're gonna have fun. Mm -hmm. Stress-free environment. Yep. Speaking of surprises, kids, we have a very special guest with us today. All the way from Miles County, please welcome So after the first Terrifier, I wasn't like, give us more clown-themed content. <laughs> I didn't think that was where they were going to lean into, but let's go. All right, Damien's heard the feedback. He's taken it on board. He hasn't been too proud to, you know, reject it and be like, no, you're wrong. He's been open-minded. Let's do it. There is so much to like about Terrifier 2. First of all, really great, strong female protagonists. Nice. I, I, you know, like weirdly, this film would totally pass the Bechdel test, like with Sick. flying colors, right? <laughs> like it's, it's wild. Second of all, from the beginning, it announces itself as distinct from the torture porn genre by not having a creaking metal soundtrack, but a Stranger Things soundtrack. So from the beginning, it's Synthwave, which I was super surprised by. And in fact, when the credits rolled, after 10 minutes of extreme brutality, I was like, it's, it's jarring. It's like, what the fuck is going on? So it's what, like a gentle exit from a, from a jarring film, from, from a terrifying scene, as it were. And then I think finally, mm. when you talk about Art the Clown, I think they've, they've done something interesting with him. So the, the main antagonist of these films is Art the Clown. He's a silent clown with bad teeth and black and white makeup. He is quite well portrayed in this film as a mime right like so that's his that's his shtick like he's a mime so that's why he doesn't talk but he does a lot of acting out and the guy that plays art talked about how he took inspiration from the the comedians of the silent film era and it comes out in this film because there's genuinely like funny moments where art is killing someone or like torturing someone but sort of doing like the boo-hoo eyes or the like, oh, God, what, yeah, me? And it's, it's both chilling and funny and I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's, it's well done. It's unexpected. It's entirely different to any of the clowns we've seen in horror cinema so far. There's just a lot going for this film and I liked it a lot for that reason. But I do have to say before we begin, this is... Easily one of the most, if not the most, cruelly brutal horror films I've ever seen. It, it's eased slightly by the fact that they, they use practical effects that I think pay homage to the 80s. So okay. it, it never necessarily looks that real. But because the camera never cuts away and you see all the things that led up to these moments, it feels real. And in fact, maybe yes. feels even worse than real, right? Like yeah, if it was okay. CGI, I think some of, the, some of the grotesqueness of this film would be dampened. And I think in the same way that at some point in time, you know, now that we're properly going, oh, fuck, maybe Kanye was awful all along. <laughs> we're all going to have to grapple with the fact that he was never good with women, you know, and, and we let that slide. For, and lots of people didn't let it slide, but we definitely as fans let it slide. Horror as a genre is not great with women and probably the two most impacted victims in this film are teenage girls. And they were the two moments of this film where I was just like, I, I don't feel good watching this. I don't feel comfortable watching this. I don't know if this is, a, is, if this is going to have a negative effect on me long-term. And in fact, there's one scene, and when we get to it, I'll tell you, yeah, okay. It's kind of lingered in my head ever since. It's kind of just stuck there. It just shows up. Like it's suspended from the ceiling of my mind on a string and it's just sort of hanging there, swinging back and forth. Like it's there. And so on the one hand, I think this film in many ways is really good and deserves to be a crossover hit. And on the other hand, I'm like, I think, I think you definitely could not see this, Peach. Mm. I think I don't necessarily know you listening right now, but you probably shouldn't or wouldn't be able to sit through this film in the same way that I don't think I necessarily was able to sit through this film and come away unscathed. And, and so I have very complex feelings about it. So this is jelly, half ground, it's not bags. <laughs> Grumpy. 
Um, I'm also concerned that like the revisionism with 808s and heartbreak was we were going back and being like, it was actually great. And now we're sort of going back to be like, oh, we should have known from 808s and heartbreak. <laughs> like so, he makes yeah. a whole album basically making his ex the bad guy. And you're like, there's a reason why every single pop punk singer has been me too. It's like the moment all you do is sing about how bad your ex-girlfriend is, the moment you realize that's probably it's like, a sign. But yeah, it's also the birth of stacks of memes I don't understand. Of like, I think the lead singer of Maroon Five had some like hilarious DMs that turned into lots of law memes, and it was like, "This is the lead singer of Maroon Five talking about billable hours." You know, stuff crossed out like billable hours. I'm like, "Oh, classic." Who would believe the the, the, the lead singer of Maroon Five cheating on his pregnant partner with <sighs> with fans is, is is gross, but it's also like lots of people cheat on their partners mm. and. It doesn't necessarily have to be our business. What's so funny about his was all of his messages were like strangely innocent, like not strangely innocent, but they were basically like, he'd be like, you have a fantastic bottom or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it was just, that's why they became memes. It's like, <laughs> if he if just- we slept together, that would be great. But yeah, but yeah, look, uh, Kanye yeah. aside, Maroon 5 aside, let's do Terrifier 2. I think hopefully you'll enjoy this a lot now that you don't actually have to see it. Like you'll probably have to picture some things because this is the first Wikipedia synopsis I've read in a while where they actually describe, they go into a bit of detail about the deaths, which I guess is kind of like you couldn't walk away from this film and not think that in the same way that in some films, the city is a third character. (laughs) The torture is a character in this film. Anyway, can't wait. (laughs) I love this. I love this opening though. It's very Kafka esque. It reminds me of the trial in which I can't remember the, the main character of the trial. Let's call him like Blogsy Magoo. Blogsy Magoo. Goran. But it's like somebody was telling lies about Blogsy Magoo because when he woke up, he was arrested or something like that, right? Like a great opening line mm. to a spooky novel. In the same way, the synopsis for Terrifier 2 starts with after being resurrected by an unknown entity. Basically. Following the Miles County Massacre. So this film does a good job. In fact, God, this film does a lot good. And there's one moment towards the end where I almost cheered in my seat. I was like, this film has no right to do something this cool. I have such a complicated relationship with it. Anyway, they refer to the events of the first film as the Miles County Massacre, in which Terrifier brutalized a bunch of people and then shot himself when the police came, but then awoke in the morgue because he's supernatural. Because of the unknown entity, yes. By the unknown entity. Mm. So Art the Clown brutally murders the coroner investigating his body with a hammer. And I think it's just like a hammer straight into the skull and we see the paper mache skull sort of cave in on itself. Uh, He then, because he's kind of like a funny mime, he sort of takes a garbage bag and starts filling it up with all of the like sharp implements and acid and all sorts of weaponry and hammers and things he can find. And so then from there on in, he's a clown with a garbage bag and the garbage bag is filled with implements of torture. Oh God, yeah, okay. He then goes to like an all-night laundromat to clean his blood-soaked garments, which is, it's kind of funny. And he properly does, like he goes in, he takes all of his clothes off except for his little sort of hat and he obviously has his, his, his makeup still on. But he gets all his clothes, the blood-soaked clothes, washes them, puts them into the thing, and then he's just sitting there waiting for them to dry. Like, it's, it's fun. I don't know how else to describe it. Do they riff on what sort of clown he is? He's that classic Italian version of a clown as well, isn't he? It's- he's a mime. It's very much like, you know that, that, that story where it's like the guy goes to the doctor and he's like, I'm really sad. And the doctor's like, you should see the great Cagliostro. He'll make you happy. And he's like, but doctor, I am the great Cagliostro. I, like, I want to call him Pulcinello if I made that up. It's Pucci. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like, it's yeah, like Pucci no. or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's what he looks like, right? Like he looks like an old timey mm. European mime is the best way I can describe him. Anyway, so he goes to this laundromat. He's washing his clothes. When he comes in, there's a guy sleeping that he sort of lets be, but you also know that the moment they've shown this guy sleeping, this guy's going to die. I guess we're all going to die, but, but yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. While he's waiting for his clothes to dry, 
and he's sitting there in his underwear in this plastic chair. Oh, and then there's a moment again, like again, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's kind of funny. He's sitting there reading the paper, sort of mime laughing to himself, sort of being like, <laughs> like hands in front of his thing. And then we cut to the newspaper article that he's reading and it's like, five die in horror blaze and then we cut back to him laughing <laughs> and it's just like it's 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 goofy enough that but like i saw this in a pretty crowded cinema also i, I had this moment where i was surrounded by some like mm. the sort of loud threatening groups of dudes and i had a moment where at first i was like should i move and then i was like no it's actually going to be enjoyable to watch this with some loud people who are probably going to react. And that's kind of what happened. And it was, it, it, it was an enjoyable experience to be in a cinema full of people who were sort of talking and laughing, but then when shit went down, would all go completely silent and then like hugely react. Oh, yes. This is very much a film made for the cinema. Anyway, so... Yeah, nice. To go, oh. So while he's reading the paper, he notices that there's something that the credits call The Little Pale Girl who is basically uh, like a younger girl dressed up like art in like a, I guess like a dress, but still the exact same thing. And he's basically like waves at her, but mime waves at her and she sort of mime waves back. And then she does a massive diarrhea shit on the ground because there's always a, like a poo element to these films. And he sort of yeah. is just like, you're my it. kind. Like, oh, no. we're like, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're awesome. <laughs> It cuts to the man who we saw at the start who was sleeping, waking up and seeing Art the Clown interacting with someone who's not there. The unknown entity. So it's Fight Club. You should think, yeah, okay, nice. Yeah. So the little girl's Fight Club, right? Nice, yeah, I'm with you. But it gives like a little bit of a window into Art the Clown that we didn't have before. Like a little bit of his characterization I think is really interesting. I like him laughing at the newspaper article. I think that's a, that's a nice element. Sorry, so, if I sound distracted, just, just to anyone listening, I have two dogs in here who've decided there is something alive, like a rat or something in this room <laughs> somewhere. And I'm just in full like terrier mode of like sniff, sniff, growl, growl, sniff, sniff. Like it's a room full of like cardboard boxes, moving material. I don't know how I managed to get my revenge audio sounding so smooth in here, but that's a huge achievement in itself. Shag, you'll occasionally see one of these two dogs in the background just being like, you're going to get this rat. The cool thing is, yeah, fucking fine. What are you going to do when you find the rat? And they'll bark at it and then run away. Will probably be the probably be the answer. But uh, for the moment, they're in tough guy mode. They're in group of tough guys at the cinema mode, laughing away, <laughs> laughing away at art, having a having a read of the paper. So anyway, then there's a moment where I think the washing machine breaks down. He has to put his clothes on. They're soaking wet. So he grabs a mop and he mops it up. And you're like, classic art, like cleaning up after himself. <laughs> And then he walks out of the laundromat in his wet clothes and he walks past the patron who was once alive, now with half the broom going all the way down like his skull. So like through his skull, like out through his neck sort of thing, right? Yeah, nice. A year later. So remember, that happened at the end of the first one. So this is a year later. Teenager Sienna Shaw puts the finishing touches on her Halloween costume, an angel warrior that was designed for her by her father who recently passed away after a brain tumor. Now, there's there's some sort of indication that he was a cartoonist or a like a costume designer or a game designer, something where he has a sketchbook where he makes these like fantasy drawings. Yeah, okay. And she's now fully into cosplaying. So we see her sort of like creating this costume, which I think is a really good nod to the fans of this film because the hardcore fans of any genre are probably going to lean into cosplaying where you have to create these things yourself because you can't just buy a mass-produced terrifier. Well, you probably can buy an Art the Clown mask now, but you wouldn't have been able to before. So you would have had to make all the stuff yourself. So it's kind of nice to be like, I see you, audience. I know you're going to appreciate this character. It's also good good context. Like, I mean, I suspect this is what happens when you are a good curator of crowdsourced ideas. You know, you're like, oh, in fact, yeah, that kind of works, doesn't it? You're like, I mean, right? that's, that's striking me as something a commenter would have left of like, why don't you throw in a cosplay element and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, that works. I guess. She's a really good hero. Like, it's still, like, she's a bit of a cliche, but it's well done in the way that I was rooting for her and I believed in her. She has a little brother, Jonathan, who she wants to protect, who wants to dress up as art for Halloween because this Milestown massacre is like a big deal in the town and 
he's he's kind of like deep into the internet and he thinks it'd be like cool and scary to dress up like that but really it turns out the reason that he wants to dress out for art, dress up as art for halloween is that he found one of his father's sketchbooks where weirdly his father had been drawing art the clown without art the clown having committed any murders <clears throat> nice anyway so that night sienna has a nightmare where she encounters art uh in this weird kids tv show where it's it's like one of those like i remember a show that was a canadian show that screened on australian tv called you can't do that on television where it was like a studio setting like double dare or something like one of those like you pour gloop on children yeah yeah, like that except art the clown's the host and there's mutilation and people die and he burns people alive and all of these things anyway she has this dream where she's on the set of this thing but in the film art had uh, been let loose on all of these teenagers with a flamethrower. And when she wakes up, her dresser is on fire and her whole costume has gone up in flames, except from a sword that was a gift from her father remains unscathed. It was like a cosplay sword, but it was still a gift from her father and somehow it survived the blaze. What are we to take from that? Well. Okay, we're about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know it, my views on dreams. I'm, I'm yeah, okay. The dreams in this film are more prophetic than they are. They're prophecies rather than just... Yeah, here are some themes. Yeah, here's some just general yeah. stuff I'm thinking about. So it's on Halloween at school. Jonathan's wandering the halls and he finds Art and the little pale girl at the end of the corridor playing with a dead opossum. And he fucking freaks out. And they're just kind of like playing like patty cake but also passing these, this dead mutilated animal between them. And then they throw the animal at him. He runs away down the hall, blood all over him, and gets sent home. And the teachers find that they obviously don't find Art and the pale little girl, but they find the opossum. So he gets sent home with uh, the teachers being like, uh, your son has just mutilated this possum. And combine that with the fact that he wanted to dress up like Art for Halloween. Yeah, nice. There's this like, oh, fuck, my son or Sienna's little brother's a sociopath. So Sienna, meanwhile, has a panic attack when her friends Ali and Brooke discuss Victoria Hayes' meltdown and mutilation of controversial talk show host Monica Brown. So again, th- this, this film does connect to the first, like, a mm. lot. So at the end of the first, it's a year later. It's a talk show, and, yeah. And one of the victims who has had her face completely mutilated basically mutilates a talk show host's face as well because she's gone horror movie insane. Anyway. So Sienna and Ali go to the costume shop because now Sienna has to buy a new costume because her costume's gone up in flames uh, to buy a replacement pair of wings where they encounter Art. Ooh. But, but he's just sort of like loitering around. So okay. he's like waiting outside the dressing room for her. She sort of slips past him. And again, it's like, it, there's plausible deniability that they would think it's him because they'd be like, he's now become such a, figure in the town it's like it's probably someone just trying to spook us out there's a really fun scene where she's trying to pay for these wings and art's just there trying to get her attention by trying all the different funny pairs of glasses and (laughs) and and it's both funny but also really terrifying and then the guy at the counter keeps being like tell you what you need a bag for these wings i've got a bag in the back and she's like no no i just want to pay for these down he's like no don't worry about it i'll get you a bag don't you know like and so basically like art slowly gets closer and closer to her to like scare her but doesn't do anything sienna and ali get out of the shop art then kills the shop owner and stands in the window of the shop with the shop owner's head and as people walk past the kids like wow that's a really scary clown there sort of thing actually don't like that but yes okay so like a bunch of things happen but we now get bunch to of incidents yeah yeah a bunch of incidents <laughs> happen basically like the kids somehow have some weird dream connection with uh and the fact that the brother could see the little pale girl but yeah. then other people can't like it's all like there's shit happening right anyway so Sienna and Ali go their separate ways. They both go home to get ready separately for the night. They're all going out to this Halloween party. While Ali's at home alone because her mom's out, Art breaks in. And this to me is the scene that stuck with me. I'm not going to explain the whole thing, but 
the, the things that stick with me. So Wikipedia says he theatrically mutilates her to death. The, the thing that stuck with me is like the lights are on the whole time and it's happening in her bedroom, which is like a teenage girl's bedroom. Now there's no, there's like in, in so much as there's no sexual assault to this, like it's purely like a mutilation, but you can't get past the gendered violence of an older man mutilating a young girl, right? Like you can't get past <clears throat> that. Wikipedia then goes on to describe just in the most basic terms, the mutilation. So he slices her eye, he scalps her, he flays her back, he breaks off one of her arms while tearing apart the other, he pours bleach and salt on her wounds before ripping off half her face. Ali's mother comes home and sees him mutilating her and then, to the audience's surprise, she turns and she's still alive. And it's, it's, it's the thing you have to confront to be like, for all the good things this movie does, that is just a scene that the director was like, the fans want to see this. And the Guardian review, like, remember, the UK Guardian gave this three stars and were like, oh, horror hounds are going to love this. And I'm like, legit, like, I love horror. Who loves this scene? Like, who loves this thing? And I'm not trying to judge you if you do. I just think it's, it's very niche and it's, it's just very cruel. And it's cruelness that happens in the real world by people to real people. I think that's the thing that sticks with me. It's like the, like the Vietnam War with Hostel. <laughs> Golf War. I forgot so. about that. I forgot. I forgot. If if you have not heard, if you have not heard the Hostel episode, we started our beef with Eli Roth because his defense of the extreme gore in Hostel was like, well, look, people saw much worse things when the Vietnam War was on the news every night. And it's, it's like, like no, they didn't. <laughs> Eli, you fucking. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that moment of levity because fucking hell, this scene, like, okay. So that is that is definitely the worst scene in the film. Like niche niche is a funny thing to say of like, hey, look, I don't want to judge you, but it's pretty niche. Of like I yeah, I try not to like sort of I don't want to be a judgy person, but but it, but it is a piece of art that I think would be better left. Well, I don't know, not exist or maybe you need See to me, to me, look, at the, in the same time, I'm like, I I'm 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 all for this existing because mm. my point at the end of the sadness episode was like, I never want to see the sadness. I would never recommend it to people. But I'm glad I guess a dangerous medium like horror has these dangerous corners, which in the end of the day, like I had to do your trick while watching this by being like, they're just actors. And when mm. you read interviews with the actors who played the victims and art, they were like oh, he was so good during the shooting. And like, as soon as the cameras were off, he'd be like, oh, I hope I didn't hurt you too much with that. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. at the end of the day, like this is a very safe medium for people to show these shots, but it's still a, like, it still feels dangerous. And I'm still glad that horror as a genre isn't like you get to the end and you're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. It's like you get to the edges of horror and it's like, oh, okay, no, that was as bad as it gets. I don't know. Like I often reflect that I am, you know, moderately pro censorship. I think <laughs> compared to <laughs> compared to people I speak to about it, I'm like, yeah, there's a fair few things that I'm pretty happy for. You know, stacks of opinions. I'm happy to like not have voiced, and I'm like, ah. Oh. I think you're quote quote right from a broad sense. Like you want to have art that pushes boundaries. And you want to have there to be flex and you want to be part of a culture where new things are being considered on paper I, I, that I, works. I, but just I, I think come back to, and I'm not saying like, I'm not like, this is, this is, this is not, it's not comparable to a king, but remember we mm. are not a shaming podcast. Like you like this. It's fine. Like I, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with this. I've seen interviews with, the, and obviously you can't tell from a couple of interviews with a guy, but he just seems like the most normal guy. <laughs> Damien Leone just genuinely seems like a guy who just really liked horror films and was like, I'm going to make one that people are going to talk about. And that's what he's done. Anyway, okay, all right. So the mum comes home. 
She's still alive. Art kills the mom. I, it, no, in nowhere, in nowhere near as a theatrical way. But then later on, the doorbell of this house rings. There are trick-or-treaters and Art shows up and he hands all the kids candy in the hollowed out head of the mom. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And all the kids are like, whoa, this candy's so sticky. And the, the mom's like, oh, it's just pretend blood. Don't be, you know, such a baby sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like you'll yeah. have that scene and then you'll have like back to the funness. And then there, there's another moment in this film where I swear to God, I, to- like, I was like cheering in my seat being like, terrified doesn't deserve to be this clever, but it just fucking is. Anyway, okay. So Jonathan, the brother, shows Sienna and their mother, Barbara, his father's sketchbook of art filled with drawings of his victims for the Miles County Massacre, along with newspaper clippings of killings connected to him, revealing that the little pale girl was his first victim named Emily Crane, the daughter of circus performers whose body was discovered in a makeup trailer. You don't get definitive answers, but the way they fleshed out Art the Clown, I really enjoyed. I quite like the way they did the characterization, like the, the silent film element and the laugh you know even start the laughing in the newspaper and the getting closer in the costume shop to me that's that strikes me as quite original and quite interesting so i'm i'm impressed so jonathan believes their father knew how to stop art but they don't believe him they think their father was and apparently the father was like a little bit abusive and a little bit not a god i'm not gonna say a little bit fuck the father was abusive and a bit fucked and it wasn't out of character for him to be drawing a serial killer and murderers and keeping newspaper clippings of that in his, in his secret sketchbook. After the mom tears up the sketchbook and hits Jonathan, he runs away. Barbara then finds her car vandalized and it's just covered in shaving cream with the words like bitch, like carved out in the mm. front. And she basically is like, my son, not only is he like a sociopath, He's now like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. She starts cleaning it. As she cleans the window, she sees Art the Clown in there with a sawn-off shotgun. He shoots her in the face and her face basically just explodes. Um, Lucky it was her cleaning the car. It's quite a long, it's quite a big investment. He played a long game. (laughs) You have to close the car door so like softly not to shake off any of the shaving cream. So Jonathan comes home to find the corpse of his mom sitting at the head of the table with like without a face. Art comes in again as a mime with a big thing of mashed potatoes being like, dun, 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 dun. and he comes along and he takes, he puts the mashed potato in front of the mom and starts like stuffing the mashed potato into the cavity in her head. And then like starts like laughing, like, ha, 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 ha. and then like doing the full tummy sort of motion. Okay. I, That's it, sort of weird and good, I guess. Right? <laughs> right? Like it's awful. Like how dare we think that's great. But for some reason it's good. Anyway. So he tries to run away. Art captures him and drugs him and kidnaps him in a car. So Art drives this like black mat van and he's kidnapped Jonathan. Meanwhile, at the Halloween party that Sienna was getting dressed up for, her other friend Brooke has spiked her drink with Molly in an attempt to calm her because she's feeling like her friend needs to... It's like, obviously, Peach, that you, you're a lawyer. That's a crime. Like, yeah. you can't unknowingly put a drug in someone's... No matter, it doesn't matter if it's your friend or whatever. It's a mm. crime. But it's that classic movie thing where their friend's like, you need to loosen up. So yes. I'm going to do this secretly and you'll thank me after I reveal that you're now high. <laughs> Consent is key. It's the central Spooko message. So she has a panic attack while she's on the dance floor and she sees the little pale girl. She also doesn't know where Allie is. So Brooke and her boyfriend, Jeff, drive Sienna home. But on their way, she gets a call from the brother being like, help, help. I've been kidnapped. They're taking me to the old abandoned theme park. So now we, we're set up for our final for confrontation, now, yes, right? I understand. And you can already see how this is such a bigger film than the first, and yet it was made for basically nothing. It's, it's wild how much they achieve in this film. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that is right. So they get to the theme park. She's getting texts from the brother, but we also know 
that the brother is unconscious. So these texts aren't coming from the brother. But she thinks they're coming from the brother. And the brother's like, I'll meet you at the front. They wait for 20 minutes and Sienna's like, I can't take this. I'm going inside. And Brooke and the boyfriend are like, what the fuck? Like, that's really scary. And she's like, I'm going to go save my brother. Brooke and the boyfriend stay in the car. And... <clears throat> wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. So, oh, was that just dramatic zoom delay for a moment? Okay, was that like, was dramatic oh, zoom God. delay. <laughs> I always forget the power these, even these synopsises have on you. But oh, God. anyway, so she gets this message from her brother. Sorry, the thing that I missed is the coolest moment and like fucking Wikipedia didn't tell it as well as I would want to. So let me try and retell how cool this moment is, right? So she is texting the brother and being like, where the fuck are you? I'm here. It's been 20 minutes. Where the fuck are you? And then she finally gets a text and is like, help. I'm at the terrifier, which is a ride in the amusement park. Yes. Yes. Shag. That's very good. I don't know. Look, I'm very pro censorship and I'm very pro like (laughs) this film may be getting banned, but that is very, very good. And, And immediately the worst title in horror history Becomes a great title because that's a fucking great name for a roller coaster. That's that's like there would be a roller coaster called that. Now it's not a roller coaster. It's like a haunted house, but still great. Like yep, yep, yep right. Yep. yep, yep anyway, yep, yep. So while she goes in, mm. the boyfriend and, and again they they basically set up the boyfriend to be a bad guy. Like it's weird how in this film it's like teenage girls deserve to die, but we have to set up the boys to be bad to kill them as well. Anyway. He's sort of been a gross dude all night. He had a t-shirt on that Come said on, just... Come on, baby. Let's have sex. Yeah, he's like yeah. that. He had a t-shirt with a knife, like a bloody knife that said just the tip, which is like... <sighs> just like... He's like, this is my Halloween costume. And he also pressures her to like do some cocaine in the car. He's like, this will make you feel even better. And she's like, I really don't want to do it. And he's like, come on, baby. <clears throat> anyway, so they start like making out in the car, even though her best friend and her little brother are like missing in this abandoned theme park in a town where a serial killer is still at large. But anyway, they're making out. And then he's like, I've got to go take a piss. He goes and takes a piss. And then the terrifier like knives into his penis. And I was at first I was like knives into his crotch. Right. And at first I was like, okay, they're going to show a bleeding crotch. They show him, Pull his penis off. <laughs> That's really funny as well. Did you laugh, then, Shag, when that happened? Well, kind of, because then slams it on the window, on Brooke's window, where we realize Art has written just the tip. That's pretty funny, Shag. <laughs> <laughs> so now Brooke then runs into the amusement park as well. So now we've got, we've got Jonathan, we've got Sienna and Brooke all on the loose in this amusement park with Art making chase. He chases Brooke into the haunted attraction, the Terrifier. And like I said before, like that last scene was the worst and the one that's in my dreams. But this is, this I still don't think is cool. So all film, he'd been making this bat where he'd been hammering in knives and nails and things. And he has the bat like ready to hit her with. Right? Like it's, it's this bat. And, and I've seen this bat in like fucking video games and cartoons and things before, but you never actually see what a bat yeah. with nails in it would actually do to a person, right? So he corners her in this bathroom and he's got this bat and she has a knife like in front of her and she's like, she's basically crying and being like, don't kill me. And it's awful. Like I don't like watching that in a horror film. And then the camera cuts to behind him where he's hiding the acid he took from the morgue at the start of the film. So he straight away throws the acid on her face. And I'm like, there are like killings that happen worldwide that are gendered killings towards women where that happens. And that to me, I'm like, that's actually pretty irresponsible. And then there's Mm. another long drawn out mutilation scene where he basically just kills her. Mm. Like, you know, and just, just, just hits her and slices her and chops her over and over again. The Guardian love that sort of shit. Yeah. The Guardian are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Guardian were like three stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. 
Okay, Sienna discovers Brooke's corpse and fights Art until he knocks her unconscious. She awakens to find Art using... Okay, so in the first film, Art creates a cat of nine tails by basically getting a number of cords, tying them together, and tying scissors at the end of them. So it's his like, it's, <sighs> it's his like signature weapon, and he's using the cat of nine tail on her brother. <clears throat> so she awakens, overpowers Art, and begins attacking him with his own weapons. After Art is resurrected from being killed several times by Sienna and Jonathan, he kills her with her father's sword and throws her into this, like, I guess it's like this pit hidden underground that, under the terrifier that's, like, almost got, like, a red glow coming up from it. And when she falls down, she falls back into the set of that game show from her dream at the beginning. But this time she's in, like, a water tank and she can't breathe. And she's got this wound from the sword from her father that the terrifier used on her. How does this cost 50 grand? I know, right? Right? And I should, yeah. I should point out, the reason she has a sword is, like, it's the only thing that survived, so it was part of her costume. So she had that sword. Anyway, um, she is dying in this, basically, dream world where she's drowning. Art is up there. Uh, he begins to start eating the brother because it's, like, that's his thing. Like, he's, he's a cannibal at the mm -hmm. end of the day. So he's, like, he's flayed the brother and now he's eating him. I've forgotten that, actually. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden... The synth soundtrack goes into Haywire. We see the sword glow like it's He-Man's sword or something. Her wounds are healed and she is able to crawl out of the pit and grab the sword and go up and confront Art. Uh, sick. They have a fight. They have a fight. Is that where you were cheering? Yeah, I'm like, well, like I was cheering when we found out that the ride was called Terrifier. But they yeah. have a fight and she decapitates Art and rescues Jonathan. At this point, they both watch the pale little girl appear out of nowhere, pick up Art's now decapitated head, sort of stroke it and take it away. That was the end of the film. But then, because every film has to have a mid-credit scene, there's a mid-credit scene. Annoyingly, I like ran out of the cinema at this point. Number one, because... I didn't want to be around the group of scary, <laughs> the group of scary guys <laughs> when the film stopped and they didn't have something occupying them. Uh, but also, I just kind of wanted to get out of there. But in a mid-credit scene, so I didn't see this, an institutionalized Victoria, who is the original victim, is throwing up before writing Vicky plus art and obscenities on the wall of her mental institution. She then, with, with her own blood, she then gives birth to Art's living head, leaving the horrified nurses screaming and setting us up for Terrifier 3. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty freak out mid credit scene. Yeah, you give birth to it like 50. I mean, I don't want to linger too much on the budget, but that's a triumph of. Right? Right? That's not a lot of money, Thomas. No. And, like, to be fair, there was one particular decapitation scene where we saw, like, the, the neck, and it did look like there were, like, flaming hot Cheetos covered in, like, syrup coming out of this, like, dummy's torso. Like, when you're seeing these things close up, they, they all look hokey and fake. It's still profoundly impressive. Um I think what I've taken overall, though, is having my faith in 808s and Heartbreak shaken so heavily. <laughs> I just don't know if we can go back far enough to find some Kanye we can enjoy or whether even doing that is a pointless and culturally damaging thing you know, in itself. I, th I so, think, I think too, hmm. you know, Kanye famously never listens to feedback. I think if he'd taken some of Damien Leone's advice, yes. <laughs> we wouldn't be in this conundrum. We're a pro-censorship podcast and uh, we just need Damien and Kanye to get in a room together and sort it out. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?